That's the end of your little intro thing, right? VCR. Vintage Cinema Rewind. Welcome to VCR, Vintage Cinema Rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. And I'll be like, um... This week we're delving into musicals for the first time. You gonna sing for us, Blake? I'll feed you if you sing for us. Ooh. And then you feed sing. Feed me what? <laughs> <laughs> pad Thai, of course. Ooh. We're getting Pad Thai tonight, right? Ooh. <laughs> pad Thai. Well, I filmed all that. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, there we go. So that might actually be pretty good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we can pretty much get started with yeah, yeah. that now. Like, <laughs> little shop, little shop of horrors. Feed me. <laughs> Ooh, feed him, Seymour. Feed him what? <laughs> <laughs> Is that recorded? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> We just derailed this podcast at this point. We just gotta keep it going. Let's go. <laughs> All right, we're starting now. Um, uh, yeah, so welcome to the episode. Here we're doing Little Shop of Horrors, a musical from 1986. Before we get to that, though, I got some quick show notes for last from last time. All right, let's do it. Last episode, we talked about when Harry met Sally. So yes. during the episode, I said. That uh, Rob Reiner has uh, kind of retired from directing over the last 10, 15 years. It's actually not the case. He's put out actually quite a few films over the last 20 years. They're probably just a little bit less notable than his Mm. 80s and 90s works. So he had Shock and Awe, LBJ, Magic of Belle Isle, Flipped, and The Bucket List. Oh, no way. Yeah, and actually two of those include Woody Harrelson in them as the main actor, and two of those include Morgan Freeman as the main actor, so kind of cool. Yeah, there you go. Working with some big big names there still. Well, let's get into this week's episode, Little Shop of Horrors. You want to start with the plot? Yeah, let's go. Uh, In Little Shop of Horrors, we follow Seymour, a naive and downtrodden florist in Skid Row, take care of a very strange and interesting plant. With painful care, he grows the plant to become a local, then worldwide, sensation. This allows him a glimpse of a happy life off Skid Row, potentially, with his beautiful co-worker, Audrey. Yeah, so the whole overview of this is that Seymour, he's a florist, and he's like very poor and depressed in, his, in Skid Row. Everybody is like pretty depressed in Skid Row. Yeah, it- and when we get to themes, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Because yeah. um, there's an interesting commentary on capitalism, I think, here. Yeah, overall. But, um, yeah, so he he's a florist in a very um, run-down shop. Nobody's buying flowers in this area. And Mr. Mushnik, his, his boss, he's, he's potentially going to close the flower shop down mm-hmm. before uh, Audrey... Um, Let's him know that Seymour found this really interesting plant, <laughs> and they're they have that whole little discussion about uh no if you just put an interesting plant in the window not people aren't going to come in and then people did come in yeah so he has this like the plant itself Audrey too is it's almost presented to Seymour. And he receives it during a solar eclipse. It's kind of a, a crazy moment in time yeah. when this plant appears to him. And that's where he starts trying to nurse it back to health. He tries everything. All of these different plant foods don't work. 
and then he ends up pricking his finger by accident, and that's when the plant perks up and is like... Yeah. <laughs> Does like a weird... Yeah. yeah. And so he starts feeding the plant blood, the plant grows, things start to get out of hand from there. Yeah. Pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know if we go farther into the whole plot or... No, I don't know that we need to go any further than that. We've talked characters yeah, so... people you may know after this so. yeah so basically audrey 2 is a plant that feeds on blood and seymour to keep him alive this plant yeah. has to keep uh pricking his fingers and dropping blood into its mouth mm-hmm. and from there um this strange and interesting plant gains quite a bit of um attention from the media the local media first and then after a while he's on like magazines with this plant and getting like tv deals and stuff like that so that's the whole um trajectory of this story yeah that's a good summary (laughs) awesome the only thing i was gonna add was that the in terms of setting we're looking at what's known as skid row in new york which is kind of the the poorer area um in terms of setting time and place it's probably taking place around 1963 because during the film, uh, both of us noticed that Jason and the Argonauts was playing at one of the local theaters there, so we can kind of pinpoint approximately when that date is. I imagine the reason why they had it take place in the 60s while they're filming this in 86 is because of the original film that was based on that came out in the 1960s. Um, kind yeah, of, uh, I would assume so as well. And that was, we'll get into it a bit, but that was a really cool origin story of how the original was made. Yeah, it's quite a journey that it, it that uh, Little Shop of Horrors went on to get to the 1986 version. And then from there, and it has so much success on, on Broadway and just in theater in general. Well, off-Broadway, sorry, off-off-Broadway yeah. followed by off-Broadway. I got real into the technicalities of Broadway that yeah. I did not know before researching for this film so i've only heard it referenced in uh there's this new show um only murders in the building which has steve martin who's also in this yeah and we're definitely talking about that a little bit later too yeah yeah, cool so characters and people you may know first and foremost one of our favorite canadians rick moranis playing seymour krellborn uh he's kind of a geeky orphan who grew up in the plant shop in Skid Row, you may know Rick Moranis, or you may not r- know Rick Moranis, depending on how old you are, yeah, probably. Yeah. If you're a kid of the 80s or 90s, you definitely know Rick Moranis from films like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Ghostbusters, Spaceballs, maybe going a little bit later, or sorry, going a little bit earlier than that. He was one of the main cast of SCTV and you can picture the Bob and Doug skit there, the two very famous. I don't even think, I don't, I think they're Canadian in mm. there, but they might not be. I anyway. Can't say for sure, yeah. <laughs> so, why you might not know him if you're born maybe late 90s, early 2000s, is he actually has taken a long sabbatical from hiatus, acting, if you will. a hiatus yeah. from acting. Since the 90s, more or less, due to the unfortunate passing of his wife, he decided to take a break and take care of his kids, who were quite young at that time. And since then, he's maybe started popping up a little bit more since then, which is maybe exciting for us, some of us 90s, 80s kids. Yeah, he was such a household name, and uh, his hiatus was 
it's like a little heart. It's definitely heartfelt. Like it, there's a good reason for it. And he, everyone loves him. Like he's beloved within films. And, um, he has said like he, he would come back. He just didn't feel the need. He wasn't in love with the idea. If something came his way, that was just perfect. Mm -hmm. He might, which didn't happen at the newest version of Ghostbusters. They did offer him to come back oh. just as like a quick little cameo. Mm -hmm. He's like, nah. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I did see, though, that he may be reprising his role in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids for an upcoming series called Shrunk. Yeah, th and that would be amazing because that's one of the movies that I remember him in. And movie like series as well. Yeah, yeah. If uh, if you had the Family Channel in Canada, I think I don't know if it was called Disney in the U.S. or what it was, but yeah. you would have seen the Honey I Shrunk the Kids film series on there. There's maybe three or four of them, and he stars in most, if not all, of them. Yeah, and great concept to those movies. And, yeah, <laughs> and like his his whole shtick, like the, his version of or his brand of comedy was just so like essential at that time or not like it was just everywhere like that movie or those those things were big it felt yeah and it, he was a good offset to maybe some of the other comedians of the time like think the bill murray and chevy chase kind of actors mm. who are those big fill a room type of personalities yeah, yeah. whereas rick moranis is like the direct opposite of that like he's kind of the nerdy dweeb kind of actor all right, after Rick Moranis, we have Ellen Green playing Audrey, his co-worker that he's in love with. He's known her for a long time, I think, at this point. Unfortunately, she's in an abusive relationship and and doesn't even really consider Rick, uh, sorry, not Rick Moranis, but Seymour as maybe a love option at first there, just because yeah. he's, he's just not comfortable in his own body, really. Yeah, he's very... Um insecure and she is also we find out quite insecure in the mm -hmm. fact that she doesn't think that someone's so nice like she doesn't deserve that so there is that whole um tension there that uh it's quite palpable yeah something interesting about ellen green is this was actually one of the first times ever that a stage actor prized their role for a film version of a play because, as again, as we'll get to a little bit later, this has an interesting trajectory in terms of getting to the 1986 film version. Where you may know Ellen Green from, actually, is the very popular show Pushing Daisies, where she played Vivian Charles. A very cl critically acclaimed show that ran from the early to late 2000s. Um, and I think was harshly canceled at some point. I've never seen it, but yeah. very critically acclaimed. Let's talk cameos very yeah. quickly. We're, we're still doing in non-spoiler free here or non-spoiler free. We're doing spoiler free yeah, here. Yeah. So there's really only one kind of cameo that I want to talk about because he's really a main actor in this. And that's Steve Martin playing the evil dentist slash Audrey's abusive boyfriend his name is Oren. Yes, Oren. Yeah. And he just, uh, he steals the show in pretty yeah. much every scene that he's in. Yeah. He's so good. And you mentioned uh, Only Murders in the Building, yeah. which is uh, starring Steve Martin currently on Disney+. And so seeing him in this and comparing the two, yeah. it, it 
again brings me back into the 80s nostalgia quite a bit and wanting to go back into Steve Martin's uh, film from filmography, film yeah. discography, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and get back into some of those old classics. Yeah. And he is so highly respected by comedians mm-hmm. and by fans, like by audiences huge in the 80s and 90s and 2000s and like he just keeps going yeah and um yeah he's he was amazing in this yeah his musical pieces were all fantastic his Uh, story was great his story was really good he's a dentist who's quite sadistic yes and he just like revels in the the little pain that he causes to uh his patients and yeah just great The original writer of Little Shop of Horrors deserves a lot of credit for coming up with the idea of an evil dentist. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It fits so well. It's such a unique idea. Like, you you kind of maybe see that in other films and TV shows, but not to this extent. Otherwise, like I said, there's actually a laundry list of great cameos here, but I don't want to get into them quite yet until we give you a chance to watch this because some of them actually really add to the scenes in the surprise of when they pop up. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's like it, it's basically a star-studded cast from the 80s. <laughs> you yeah, really like can't all, complain. Like the all the people who were at the height of their comedic career then mm-hmm. were in this. Yeah, or on the rise too. So there's a there's a lot of interesting stuff we'll talk about a bit later there. In terms of smaller cameos, so I always do my deep dive on actors who are maybe starting out. Miriam Magolis is one of the nurses at the dentist office. Oh yeah, she plays Professor Sprout in the Harry Potter series. No way. Yeah. Oh, I, I did not notice that. I'm the biggest Harry Potter buff, and that was yeah. I did not notice. I think it would be hard to notice yeah, that one because yeah. she's like. 15 20 years younger in this right and professor spout isn't the most central professor in the harry potter series but anyway kind of interesting tanisha arnold so she played rochelle one of the three doo-wop singers she was crystal or sorry she plays rochelle in everybody hates chris and is crystal the main singer of the doo-wop group huh the other one of the three singers was Tisha Campbell, who plays Jillian or sorry, Gina Payne on Martin, and she was Chiffin on or or in Little Shock of Shop of Horse. Okay, I don't know if yeah. they really said what their names were during the film, no, so kinda hard to figure out who's who a little bit. Yeah, they're referenced a little bit, but I don't think by name in the in the movie. Talking director really quickly. So we've got Frank Oz here helming this film. He also directed, and this is quite a a run as well here, The Dark Crystal, which is one of my favorite childhood movies of all time. What about Bob? And prior to directing, actually began his career as a puppeteer, performing several of the Muppets, Muppets, (laughs) performing several of the Muppets in Sesame Street characters. And on top of all of that was the voice of Yoda in the first six Star Wars movies, plus some of the animated series. Yeah, that's so crazy. I kind of wish I got to hear his regular voice or something, or like yeah. him in this. I don't know. I thought yeah. about that, but I didn't have time to do that much research. So, yeah. 
that's the bulk of the characters and people you may know, other than those great cameos that we'll get to a little bit later. Last character and person you may know is Audrey 2, the plant in Little Shop of Horrors, played by Levi Stubbs. Not necessarily a big actor. No, he's not super well known unless you were from that time where he was the one of the singers in, is it jazz? I'm not sure. A group called the, the Four Tops. The Four Tops. He'd Which run into the Four Tops at the same time as the Four Bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> that, what a bad joke. Yeah, yeah. I think that happened after their shows. <laughs> um, no, but a Four Top is a restaurant term. Oh, um, he's a baritone singer. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, a Four Top is a restaurant term for a table of four. Mm. R&B group Four Tops released a variety of Motown hit records during the 60s and 70s. Yeah, the- and that's yeah, it's very mo his whole voice for Audrey 2 was very Motown. Mm-hmm. All right, I think that's pretty much the good collection of characters and people who may know with the asterisks of the people we'll talk about in spoilers. Let's talk who this movie is for. So, this film is kind of a horror comedy musical mashup <laughs> yeah yeah and i i think like one of the main reasons we did this one we wanted to do a musical and we mm-hmm. wanted to find one that would be easy for someone who is maybe musical averse yeah might like want to get into yeah this isn't uh the sound of music or something like that which has maybe a lot of history with the film and other classical and, kind of yeah, important it, do- historical document interesting bits about that and, and the actual music within like the musical part it doesn't it's not about the musical the music actually um like helps move the plot forward yeah that's actually something that i was thinking about earlier today that it's um it's almost exposition I don't know what the exact word would be, but it's exposition yeah. is is the singing that and like you said, it moves the plot forward. It gives us the the look into the minds of each of the characters, uh, and it does it really effectively. I think. Yeah. So yeah, if you're a fan of any of those, but like you kind of said as well, it's maybe a little bit more accessible than some of the other older musicals that we could have picked. Yeah, like Amadeus. Like. Yeah, sure. well, I'm not sure Amadeus is a musical. I think I think Amadeus is like about the the pianist Amadeus. I thought it was a musical about him though. Maybe but I, I see, and that's the thing. Like musicals are kind of hard for like for our kind of demographic to get into. Yeah, and I think you and I personally aren't big fans of musical necessarily. I do enjoy going to see a good play, but it doesn't have to be a musical for me to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. If you're a fan of cult movies or low budget like B movie horrors, I I think you could make an argument that uh, you would probably enjoy this. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's like on the light side of dark comedy. Well, that the the comedy part really lightens it up. So if you're really yeah. into like horror movies, this might be a night that you don't feel like um shitting your pants out of fear <laughs> yeah it's just like an enjoyable uh dark twist on just like it's just a overall enjoyable movie yeah the the ending maybe packs quite a punch but uh otherwise it, it is fairly light yeah uh, uh, for for what it's 
uh, what the material is about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious, like, how scary Audrey to the plant would have been back then because it was so well done. Well, here's the thing. I, I did a bit of a deep dive into my own history while I was doing some research for this, and I've definitely seen the play back in 2003, I figured out, was oh. when I watched it, okay. and very, probably a year or two before after that, I, I've actually seen this film. A little bit different in terms of the cut version mm-hmm. um, back then, but I don't know, I'm anywhere from probably about 8 to about 12 is when I first watched this. And I wasn't scared necessarily. So I don't think being a kid around that age, I don't think you'd be scared of Audrey 2 in 86. I think I was a little bit. I kind of remember um, like seeing clips of it. I, I, I don't remember it being a musical. I just remember it being a little bit scary and like the whole like feed me Seymour, mm. which I don't I don't know if he actually says Seymour at the end. Yeah. Fe- he's just feed me. I think in the play that I went and saw, he's like, feed me, Seymour. Because that's what I remember as well. Maybe that's a movie line that nobody remembers exactly correctly. Yeah, yeah. Because it's referenced so often that, like, let's say it came up in The Simpsons. It was in several Simpsons episodes. Yeah, especially Trios of Horror or something like that. Yeah, so uh, somebody might have been like, feed me, Homer, or something. So that gets stuck in your brain. It is a good yeah. line, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's where it is, like, a cult classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of memorable moments within the film and a lot of memorable musical notes and pieces that we'll discuss a little bit further later. The last, probably, argument that I'd make for who this movie is for is fans of 80s comedians, and we've already talked about how many cameos there are in this. We'll talk about that a little bit more detail later. Do you have any special audiences that might be interested in this as well? Not really. It's just like... It's kind of campy. Like it's, Yeah, campy. That's that's one area that like if you're... I don't know if there's any groups that are into campy stuff, but that is kind of like a, a certain feel that this movie has a lot of. Yeah, and, the, and it's... It, it has a purpose. Like, it wasn't campy by accident. It was, we're trying to make this campy. Like, you and I were talking a little bit earlier about the scene where Mushnik is like, oh, Seymour, don't put that plant out in the front, that weird, and what did you say? You say it. No, just because you put a strange and interesting plant in the window doesn't mean that customers are just going to start coming in. Yeah. And then... As soon as he says that, the door opens and to the flower shop, mm-hmm. and a customer is like, "Hey, I just saw that strange and interesting plan in the window." And like, yeah, and it's <laughs> it's very like what's like over rehearsed, kind of like campy, like the yeah. the way it's delivered, and it was meant to be delivered yeah, that way. Yeah, yeah, like the, it was there was like a repetitive thing that was like an in joke where they repeat. They repeated the strange and interesting plant yeah. part over and over, kind of. Yeah. So, yeah, they add that brand of humor in that is known to be campy. Yeah, it's almost a, like a good parody to maybe more serious eight, 60s through 80s low-budget B-movies, I would say. So, if you're a big fan of those, it's it's like the, the scream of, uh, like, slasher films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When to watch... 
For me, I think this is a really great late night, like late Friday night film after 9 p.m. You can make this a double feature movie very easily. Mm. And it kind of fits into the old school doubles feature movie nights, which used to be kind of low grade uh, B movies anyway. So I I think that you'd have a lot of fun there. Personally, you know, growing up probably 14 through 18, most of my Friday nights before we really went out and partied all the time was watching like old movies, Mm. old horror movies past nine o'clock on a Friday night. There was some really great stuff that was on there. Not great, but like campy, like like, random things that you like, you, you don't seek out, but then you start watching it and you're like, Oh, like I see how this is like enjoyable. It's not amazing. It's kind of like the, like there was a whole time in that, like that time period had these movies like gremlins and Chucky and um and little shop of horrors they all kind of fit together where little shop is a little bit more comedic but yeah i wonder if if you're comparing those three i wonder which holds up the best this one's got like a little bit of a timelessness to it because it's that musical kind of genre and musicals are a little bit more timeless in that regard i know gremlins is still a classic though that yeah. people would probably argue holds up just as well as it did back then. And it's not maybe my favorite film. I don't know if I've ever seen the original Chucky before. I have like, I've watched yeah random clips or something like that. It was on at one point, but I was too young or whatever. And then uh, there's another one leprechaun that I remember <laughs> with Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. 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 So the, all those movies I, I didn't watch, I haven't watched them all fully, but they were all always kind of on, on like a Friday night yeah. when I was super young. And then, um, yeah. So watching this was a good, like nostalgic, um, little night for me. Yeah. 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 For sure. And maybe that's, that's another time where you want to watch it is you're, you're feeling the nostalgia and you're, you want something from that mid to late eighties yeah. scene. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I actually see it being a good double feature where, like, you start off the night with this and then maybe go into something a little more, like, actual horror. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily pair this up with another comedy, I don't think. Maybe. But, um, overall, just, like, a chill night in. Yeah, like, another campy horror, I think. Uh, have you ever seen... There's the Grindhouse films um, by Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, which was Planet Terror and what's the other one called? Grindhouse, Planet Terror. Oh, Death Proof. So, yeah. So those two movies there, Grindhouse and Death Proof. Death Proof? (laughs) (laughs) Grindhouse and Death Proof are a really great mashup there. You've got Death Proof, which is maybe a little bit more played straight. And Planet Hollywood is really campy, and I absolutely love Planet Hollywood. And so I could see this being that first feature in those mm. films, just similarly to that. And yeah. maybe you take something a little bit more, a little bit darker into the second part of the night. We could turn this into a whole weekend thing, maybe with like Army of Darkness. And yes, like... oh man, I can't <laughs> wait until we do the Evil Dead series at some point. Man, I feel like we should just ditch our girlfriends and move into <laughs> yeah. roommates and just watch movies all weekend and uh keep film or keep recording <laughs> yeah yeah this is putting me in a good mood for for a movie that we both probably enjoyed but wouldn't put on a top 20 list this yeah. makes me want to watch other movies yeah 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 
where to watch. It's unfortunately not currently streaming anywhere for free, but if you really want to go and watch it, and I, I probably slap a bit of a recommend on this one if you're kind of interested in what we've talked about, you can rent it on YouTube or Apple iTunes. Cineplex probably has it, but I didn't look into that at all. All right, I think here's probably a good spot to cut it off, the spoiler-free bits. If you're interested in going out and watching this, I recommend this. Um, and at this point, I think we've given you a good idea of when you might want to watch this. So we'll, we'll cut her off here, and we'll see you after you've watched the film. Yeah. Yeah, Come or if you back. want to stay and hang out and, and maybe decide one way or the other a little bit further if, if you're interested. Well, we'll hear for that too. Yeah. So you want to talk themes first? Yeah, let's get into themes. So really the biggest theme that I have is kind of the the commentary on capitalism and trying to get ahead, the, the rich versus poor uh, mentality and... And maybe even blood money a little bit. Yeah. The sacrifices that you make to get to the top. Yeah. Uh, it's very like, what is the American dream? Yes. And how does it actually play out for the majority or for at least like the lower minority or whatever? Yeah. And right off the bat, we're painted the picture of what Skid Row is like. Um, how downtrodden everyone is in Skid Row and down on their luck they are. Um, Some of them are dreaming of like something better, but most of them are just have lost that. And there's people just laying in the street mm -hmm. and um, everyone else just walks over them. There's garbage everywhere. Everything's just destitute. Yeah. And we see Seymour throughout the film take more and more make or sorry make more and more sacrifices to his own to himself and his own ethics in order to get ahead and by the time he's had enough it's too late yeah which is it's a really interesting concept and i think that it really explores the idea really well um and one of the actually the key moments of this where i really i, th I actually wrote this down because i was like this really nails it on the head the idea is when Audrey is killed by the plant and she says to Seymour, use my body, put it in the plant so that so that you can be rich and famous and be yeah. big because you deserve it. Yeah. And it's it's kind of perverse in a way because she she's murdered by the plant and she knows at this point what he's done to get to where he is, yeah. the people yeah. that he's killed. And she still says, like, do whatever you can to, to get yeah, to yeah. get out and get ahead, yeah. basically, yeah. which is, I think, is a really interesting idea that that actually this is the one legacy bit that I was going to talk about is that something like Parasite, the most mm. recent film, which won a, a bunch of Oscars, I think from Korea. Yeah kind of explores that idea of rich versus poor mentality as well there and how everybody's kind of trying to step on everybody else at the bottom in order to get up, move up. Yeah, like they have to yeah. if they want to uh, move up. Yeah. They, they can't help but step on other people. And um, yeah, there's no other way out. Mm -hmm. And they can't see any way out that it, like allows them to keep that nice, uh, naive kid like Seymour 
well, he's not even a kid, but it's just like Rick Moranis plays this character yeah. so well that he looks like boyish. And he's like, probably in his early twenties, or yeah, yeah, I would guess. Yeah, like he he's overall very nice, mm-hmm. but he still falls into this trap. Yeah, and another part of that is how Audrey views or envisions the house that they're gonna have. Mm-hmm. It's very like it's like she she doesn't have a real concept of like good life. She only has like pictures and it so and the TV version of what yeah, a good life yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. So she like it it doesn't nothing feels real within that. Of it is mostly in her imagination, but yeah. even in her imagination, it's just like a cutout from a magazine. Yeah, and even her character we see is abused throughout the film mm-hmm. by her boyfriend, the evil dentist. And she basically just takes it because she wants a better life. Yeah, yeah. Because he's well off. Yeah. Like, he, like all dentists. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's really the biggest theme, I think, here. And it it's, one, it's interesting how it's kind of portrayed because it's never really like, this is the theme. We're trying to drive this theme home. But throughout the movie, that's really what I derived from the film as I watched it. Yeah, it's... It's obvious in some parts, but like it's it takes a little bit of thinking just to put the whole idea together. Yeah. The comedy could be a theme, I guess, but it's just like an essential element to telling the story, I guess. Yeah. I guess oh, another theme technically would be like world domination or an alien invasion. That's not a theme. No, it is and it's not, I guess. Like it's, I guess it's the almost like the subgenre of yeah. the the horror. It's yeah. that otherworldly horror idea. The plant comes from somewhere outer space yeah. with the the long con of replicating and consuming all of mankind. Yeah, <laughs> sums about that sums it up pretty good. <laughs> sums the butt. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, let's do effects and filming next. So, the plants themselves are all puppets and animatronics. Really interesting, actually, is that this was the same team as Labyrinth, uh, which was actually our second option for this episode. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, this one out over that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, funny funny that we uh, chose two kind of related films. Rick Moranis, all so all of the actors sang their parts. Um, Rick Moranis did a really great job with oh, yeah. his singing. He actually had to lip sync all of his singing parts around the plant because they were having trouble making the plant's mouth yeah. look realistic. So what they did was they actually did the mouth movements really slow and mm. sped it up afterwards. So he had to sing his part slow and wow. then they sped it up yeah. to yeah so that it would match his singing which think about how complicated that would be yeah that was just like a pure 80s like no one's done this before how do we do this yeah. they just figured it out yeah because you don't have like cgi to just edit yeah. whatever you yeah. want later right so and they did such a good job matching up the plant's voice to its uh mm-hmm. like mouth moving and everything yeah like think about 
I don't know, some probably mathematician went into like figuring out how fast <laughs> you had to move it and at what speed so that and the playback speed and everything else. Like, yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah, overall, they're they did such an amazing job on Audrey 2. Yeah, and they actually, I, I think they spent a good amount of money on the Audrey 2 and the different variants of Audrey 2 because we have about six or so puppets and animatronics that are used throughout. Yeah. By the end, that that really m- large Audrey 2 was actually about 60 puppeteers all moving it in unison and getting yeah, all of yeah. those actions different together. Different pulleys and strings were doing different mm-hmm. things. Yeah, because the smaller versions, it starts out as a small plant. And obviously that's only like, like it's, it, you could probably fit a small person's hand in, in there. Mm-hmm. And then as it grew, there was, I think one person inside doing like the main part, moving the mouth, yeah. which is like a big bulbous head of a, it's kind of like a Venus flytrap is what. Like, yeah. We should yeah. describe that early. I don't know why we didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this, it looks like a strange and interesting Venus flytrap. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, the amount of people that went into it as it kept growing, and I feel like this must have been the most ambitious version of an Audrey 2. I would have to agree, and just in general, very ambitious in the puppeteering and the animatronics here. I can't imagine there's ever been a single puppet that's ever had to have so many puppeteers operating on it at the same time. Yeah, and this was done by... Not by Jim Henson, who is like the uh, creator or like the 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 main puppeteer for mm-hmm. um, the Muppets and Sesame Street and everything, but he had a lot of influence in it and parts of like his own team for those other shows and movies. Yeah, and there's that connection this. with Frank Oz with the Dark Crystal, which we talked yeah, about earlier yeah. as well. So and the Sesame Street and Muppets. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's some connections there, obviously. Frank Oz knew he had a vision and and with that past puppeteer experience knew what he knew what he could do and maybe even pushed his own limits as well yeah. in filming this. And I don't know if this is the time to talk about it, but what's really cool about the original this there was a original one done in 1960. Mm-hmm. I watched a little clip of the director of the first one speaking about how the idea came about Mm. and basically he had a buddy who was just finished filming a and he had a whole set all set up like a really good set and if they didn't think of anything to do in that space they were going to tear it down and put up a whole new set or something like that so he's like give me two days and Mm. he came up with like this whole idea in two days he had a writer write the whole script in two weeks and then this he had three days of rehearsing rehearsing with his actors and then it was filmed in two days the original so it has this like legacy i guess from the past of um being the two-day movie yeah and let's let's go to sequels prequels and reboots to talk about that because we're already talking about that here and and the really interesting path that it took from that 1960 film all the way to 1986 here and even beyond that that 1960 film was actually extreme low budget. In today's dollars, it works out to about 250000 for the full filming. And like you said, it was actually filmed in another film's production studio mm. that they just took got a hold of before the, the studio tore it down. Yeah. And the film actually itself acquired quite a large 
cult following over time after its initial release, which did not great. And it was actually through the use of double features themselves, those B-movie oh, double no features, way. and the theater distributions involved in those, that it started kind of word of mouth growing. And from there was began being distributed on local television TV stations. Hmm. That's the point where it really started to grow. On top of that, we have a really interesting actor involved in the original 1960s film. Yes. Jack Nicholson. His plays first a- appearance on film. Yes. And he plays a very small role here, which is actually the... And we can talk about this now. He plays essentially the character that Bill Murray plays in the 1986 version. Oh, man. I wish I watched that before this because I bet he did it well. You will have to visit the 1960s version at some point. Yeah, Yeah, because Bill Murray plays... uh, It's just a quick cameo. He plays like a... a, Masochistic. a, A masochistic... Patient. patient looking to get as much dental work done as possible yeah. the amount of pleasure that he derives from steve martin's character pulling teeth actually <laughs> just drives steve martin's character crazy yeah. and he, he kicks them out of his dental yeah. office so it's crazy because we have a, a sadist and a masochist yeah and they meet in the setting of a dental room and um bill murray as the masochist he just like he knows everything about what's going on as he walks he's so in, giddy too yeah he's so excited <laughs> and he he walks in and like he like preps himself like he's the dental assistant mm-hmm. he knows all of the um procedures and everything he sets the the uh dentist like light in his face and like gets ready and opens his mouth and everything and um steve martin is just like trying to cause him pain yeah. And it's just causing him pleasure. And it's just such an interesting interaction. It was so funny. Yeah, it's it really is a great interaction between two greats as well. I don't know if we see Bill Murray and Steve Martin on screen too many po- times before or after this. So that's, that's really great there. Bill Murray just got kind of a call out of the blue to be asked to kind of have this cameo in there. And he was like, yeah, sure. Why not? But I'm going to like ad lib whatever I want. And so Steve Martin's character had all of his lines written down and Bill Murray just rolled with it. And so Steve Martin also then after had to roll with it as well. So, and you can see that like, there's a good chemistry between them and like just off the cuff kind of, and yeah. Yeah. Super good scene. Yeah, great scene. That's probably one of the highlights for the film for me. Okay, so getting back to the 1960s version really quickly, I want to talk endings a little bit with you as well because the endings are quite different depending on which version you watch or maybe if you see it, the screenplay version of it. So with the 1960s version, the original version, Audrey Jr., not Audrey 2, but Audrey Jr. has buds growing on it as Seymour's feeding it humans, which opened to reveal at the end all of the victims' faces. And that leads to Mm. a police chase to try to capture Seymour. Seymour escapes, but returns to the plant to destroy it. And so in a final act, he actually jumps into the mouth of the plant with a knife to kill it from within. Oh, nice. That's pretty Uh, cool. um, And so later we actually see the plant grow into a a bud, which reveals his face and then the plant dies. So that's the 1960s, the OG version. 
After that, we get about twenty a twenty year break where until somebody picks this up and decides to create a musical in nineteen eighty two. And the musical started off off Broadway yeah. before coming to off Broadway mm. and then becoming a bit of a smash hit and it ran for five years off of Broadway. So ending relatively close to that nineteen eighty six that the nineteen eighty six version. And the musical has a very similar, uh, quite a bit, or not quite a bit different. It's kind of a hybrid between the 1986 film version and the original movie version of the ending. Before I think we talk about the musical ending, let's talk the 1986 version's ending a little bit. So you and I watched the same ending, the 1986 director's cut version, which so actually this was the like his original vision. This director, how yeah. he wanted to end it, and it it didn't work in theaters. No, or they, at least on on like initial screenings. Yeah, so they did, they had some test audiences, and the ending of the film, the original ending pre theatrical release, was very dark. And what you and I watched, where everybody dies, all of the main characters we see die, yeah. and then the plants go on to replicate, try to kill all of humanity, and then at the end, it looks like they're probably going to succeed in taking over yeah. Earth. In the 1986 version, honestly, watching it today, and this is the first time that I've seen the director's cut version, it does feel like a little bit of a punch in the gut at the end when everyone dies. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it, but it it almost does feel a little bit different to everything leading up to this point. Like, everything's kind of goofy, like, the plants kind of and- having fun a little bit, too. Um, have you seen Jojo Rabbit? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the path that Hitler takes during Jojo Rabbit, where he's kind of this like fun, yeah, goofy yeah. character. Don't take life too seriously. And by the end, he's like this. He's the cruel, sadistic. Yeah. Closer to what the real version of yeah. Hitler would be like, and that kind of is the trajectory of the director's cut version, where things get very, very dark, very quickly, and go from almost like black comedy to to just like dark horror, not horror. Yeah, it's it's it's, not, it's horror, it's, yeah. but it's like and and it's it's a long sequence of just how it all plays out, how everyone in the world basically just dies. Yeah. So it's yeah, like it the the shift. I think coming out of the theater watching that, if you did the original, like the director's cut, if you were able to. You would be feeling like, oh, wow, like that was like pretty intense at the end there. Yeah. Well, and the other thing as well is the characters or the actors that play all the characters do such a good job of making you feel for them. Like you really feel for Seymour and Audrey and their their struggles in the world and and what life has given them up until this point. And to have them just both die the way that they do, yeah, yeah, it kind of rips the hope out of you. Yeah, and like at a certain point, I was like, "Why aren't they trying to kill it with fire?" Like, and uh, so when we look at the actual theatrical release, Mm -hmm. Audrey two did attack Audrey, and then she was like injured or something like that, and then she, but she survived. In the theatrical release, and then the plant gets mad and brings down the building on itself and on Seymour. Seymour gets out of the rubble 
and with a power cord, like a, a severed power cord, and right. kills it with electricity, and it just explodes. Right. So that was like a, and then they they get to live happily ever after in yeah. their like fake looking house. Yeah, so that's kind of the happy ending version, and at the very, very end of that, we do see a little uh, Audrey 2 plant growing outside of their house, so maybe alluding to things aren't all perfect. Yeah. But in the original version, where everybody dies and the plants take over... I liked that version where he, like, the plants won, because... I like the version, too. It's it's a little bit the trope of the character who who does wrong and things get more and more out of hand until they can't stop the runaway train. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, they did that well. I didn't fully ever expect him to die directly yeah. from Audrey 2. I thought maybe like he would kill the plant that version and then there was already the salesman mm-hmm. uh, played by Belushi. Yes. Who um, already had cuttings of the plant, and I thought it would go off there, and he would try to, like, stop it, but then it was too late. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, just he just gets eaten by Audrey, too. Yeah, so let's talk the, the filming of this a little bit as well, because the version, the director's cut version that you and I watched has that 23 extra minutes of footage there where everything goes to hell. The businessman who tells... Seymour that he's going to sell clipping of his plants is actually played by Patrick Dooley and the character's name is Patrick Martin. He is is the kind of uh, businessman there. If you were to actually watch the theatrical release, that's where Jim Belushi is. Okay, that's what I yeah. And that's where the kind of happier ending happens. So if you haven't watched this film in 15, 20 years, it's going to feel a little bit different than what you originally saw, actually, because the director's cut version actually wasn't released in color until 2012, I believe. So for me, watching this back in that 2003 plus minus a few years there span, I would have seen the original or the theatrical happier ending. And so yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't expecting maybe the way things yeah, were going to yeah. end either, which was kind of interesting. And it was such a long, like, they, a long depiction of the fall of humanity. Yeah. It was such a shift. But yes. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a shift in tone a little bit, and it gets pretty dark. So, coming back to the musical, the musical is a little bit more similar to that ending there, where the plants are... Uh, more alluded to being victorious mm-hmm. because Seymour, again, uh, like the original movie, tries to kill the plant by jumping into its mouth. Uh, however, he fails spectacularly. Yeah, it instantly yeah. eats him. And his the buds open up and while uh, the plants are taking over and his face is there, like the original yeah. film, and he's screaming at the onlookers to not feed the plants. And that's the yeah, way it ends. Okay. Huh. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So one thing that I would say is that Rick Moranis actually depicted this um, his role quite differently than any previous versions, where he's actually quite likable, and like every other previous version of Seymour mm-hmm. is kind of like a sickly like he's he's very much more down, mm. um, and like put down and like he's 
ugly where Rick Moranis is like kind of like a cute little boy type character. Like <laughs> yeah, pudgy. he's charming. Yeah, charming. And he's sweet and well-meaning. Yes. Like he very much comes off that way. Even Whereas, when he's killing people, you're yeah. like, ah, like it's honestly hard not to be empathetic yeah, towards yeah. Rick Moranis. Yeah. So I think that's a good difference between the other versions that you don't often see when you're comparing. Yeah. Let's talk legacy quickly here because this was something I was thinking about is this trope of kind of this character that has been downtrodden on by society for so long and maybe is pushed into doing terrible things has really seen a resurgence in the last 15 years. And the comparison that I want to make to this, and again, this is kind of where I've been lately comparing maybe very great TV shows to older movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, the original first season of Fargo with Martin Freeman. Yeah, Martin Freeman. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. he's kind of yeah. that that character that's been beaten his whole life. Mm. Um, Lester Nygaard. And he gets this opportunity to advance himself and do all these terrible things. And you kind of feel for the guy maybe a little bit yeah, for a little while before he pushes things too far and he yeah. can't stop. Yeah. It's an inevitable push the top always wanting more can't be happy with what you have yeah it's like if anybody's gonna do something horrible it should be someone like this guy who deserves it like he's been beaten on so much like this is uh yeah like he deserves to be able to fight back a little bit yeah yeah exactly the only other legacy bit that i wanted to talk about really quickly is if you forget the opportunity to go see little shop of horrors put on by uh, your local theater group or even maybe a larger theater group i would recommend it it's it, yeah. It's a film that really feels like it would be adding something to go see it in a, a live action. Uh, yeah, and I've seen some very good um, Audrey 2s put on by different theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, just looking online, like the making of videos. I was trying to find the original mm-hmm. making of, sorry, of uh, the 1986 version. Uh-huh. It was kind of hard to find like exactly how they made like a video or something like that of that. But, right. Um, but I, I did get to see quite a few other versions. And because it's so elaborate, these theater productions, they put a lot into it because it has to be it's such a central character. And they do a pretty good job. It'd be, I would like to go see what like the local version would do with Audrey 2. Yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough. The last time I saw it in, the, or in a live production theater was like I said, like 2003 and it's memorable. It sticks out in my memory of going to see it and <laughs> the feed me Seymour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and those kind of lines jumping back to sequels, prequels, remakes. They actually started to make a remake uh, beginning in 2020 uh, however, in no 2021, way. it was postponed indefinitely, yeah. but there were some big names to attach to it. Like Scarlett Johansson playing wow. Audrey, Chris Evans maybe playing the doctor. Huh. Uh, so some, I don't know, maybe maybe we'll see this again. And the fact that it has this history of being made and remade yeah. and changing genres a little bit, uh, moving through different mediums. Different it, endings. Yeah, yeah it, the it, different endings. It's like it's still alive and out there. Yeah, as you can't sm- kill there's it. There's a small <laughs> bud growing somewhere yeah. off of somebody's blood. <laughs> yeah. And it won't be mine. Yeah. <laughs> so 
like just um how things don't make sense again like he should have killed it with fire at some point but another, well, he should have tried yeah he should another, have given the old college try for yeah sure. and he should have found other ways to get human blood or other blood he didn't try too hard to figure out like okay it likes blood can i just get a bunch of pig blood from the factory outside of uh, outside of new york and then bring it in no he couldn't like he he did say like he's like oh i'll just go grab you blood from the butcher shop and the plant was like no live blood yeah but so he like once he started um making some money off of audrey too he could have started getting like live cows brought in and then, i don't want it like the taste of human flesh at this point yeah but <laughs> i know you're thinking too hard about this movie <laughs> yeah well someone has to i don't know i guess that's what our role is a little yeah, bit yeah. so that's fair I'm curious about his like hair because it's super black there, but we he we know he has traditionally like silver hair. He, I think that's a wig. Yeah, it's hundred percent a wig. Yeah, but. I think that's has to be a wig. As a side note, when he first showed up on his chopper scene, yeah, yeah. I laughed out loud because I was not expecting <laughs> him to a look how he did and just start singing like that. Yeah, yeah. Like I wasn't prepared for him to be the evil dentist <laughs> yeah and like a um an elvis version too yeah. like very elvisy yeah his singing's great yeah. too everyone's was yeah i really like as soon as audrey too started singing mm-hmm. because i for some reason when i watched it when i was young i just remembered it being like a serious movie i didn't know it was a musical mm. i thought it was like feed me seymour or something like that mm-hmm. but um when it started singing I love that guy's voice. Yeah. So overall, the singing was great. And, uh, um, so let's talk score then now. Yeah. Audrey just killed it in, uh, the, um, seem suddenly Seymour song. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the highlights for me is even for the musical part. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, the music is the movie, right? Yeah. So the suddenly Seymour song is, it, it's really good. Um, and it's that back and forth that Audrey and um, Seymour have where Seymour admits his feelings and they decide to run off together and leave everything behind. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, it's really touching. Yeah. Um, but it's also like, like Ellen Green's voice is fantastic. Yeah, because she had um, been putting on this accent. I wanted to look up what that accent is because I've heard, I've seen it been portrayed in other like 80s 90s movies mm-hmm. but um it's that 60s showgirl kind of voice yeah, right yeah but like to a um high oh Seymour yeah yeah I don't know like yeah but like super high pitched yeah yeah um, um anyways so uh she yeah she had this voice the whole time and then suddenly she's like belting out like tones and lyrics yeah and when her tone and... hit when she was i don't know if you can remember picture this exactly but when she was at the top of yes, the stairs yeah there's like a tonal shift and i noticed it and was like whoa yeah like, like oh, kind of blew she my mind actually yeah. has an amazing voice yeah 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 yeah, cool. yeah i i thought the exact same thing the other musical numbers here are really great as well there's a lot to chew on the little shop of horrors intro tune which i was yeah. singing a little bit at the beginning that one, like, instantly. This is the first time Jess has ever watched this. Mm. And she was instantly starting to hum along to it, sing yeah. along to it. It's so catchy. It's yeah. such a great way to introduce yourself to the world of 
Little Shop yeah. of Horrors. And that initial sequence really nails the uh, what Skid Row is like. Yeah, the Skid Row song. Yeah, yep. that like the Little Shop of Horrors leads into Skid Row, I think. Yes. Yeah, so... It, it paints the picture of who Seymour and Audrey are as people, yeah. and the it gives you an idea of what they've grown up in, the environment, and why they make the decisions that they make yeah. throughout the film. Like, it's it really nails down the intro of the set and setting yeah. of these characters and their lives and what they're going through in, like, such a quick one-song sequence yeah. where... Like, it just leaves so much more room than the rest of the movie for developing on that. In real time, I felt it was a little bit unnecessary, but now that you and I are revisiting this, I actually can see the value in having that and and showing the background of the characters. Because when we see Audrey being abused or when there's the discussion of the abuse that happens to Audrey, I never think... Like, oh, like Audrey's stupid. Why doesn't she just leave? I, I like, I, again, I'm empathetic towards yeah, her yeah. and where she's come from and who she is and why she's trapped in that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Like, one prime example of her being trapped in that relationship with Oren, the dentist, is um, they go out for dinner or something. And on their way back, she falls off the motorcycle <laughs> and yeah. he keeps driving and then, like, calls her an idiot for falling off the motorcycle yeah it makes then, her run all the way home yeah and he he makes her call him um dr Oren dds yeah and um then like slaps her once she, she gets inside yeah mm-hmm. so yeah you get like it gets kind of into her aspect of that mm-hmm. of like the shitty life of skid row yeah and she's just trying to. She's just putting up with it so she can potentially get out of Skid Row. Right. The last song that I was going to touch on, which is interestingly enough, was almost cut. There's only a brief appearance of it in the the f- versions that we watched. But if you want to look at this online, it the full version of it on is online. It's called "The Meek Shall Inherit," and it's Rick Moranis's time to shine and belt out a really well sung song about about being in that trapping of getting everything Mm. and and losing everything at the same time like the sacrifices that he made to get where he is it was cut for the most part from the film and you can only really find it on on youtube at this point but it's it's something of a fan favorite for people who really love the film yeah uh just Looking online on, like, Reddit and things like that, the people who really love this movie still get stuck singing it in, like, the shower, like, yeah. a decade later or whatever. Yeah, it's, like, the the singing, the musical aspect of all of this does stick with you. Yeah, yeah, like I said, the, the Little Shop of Horrors intro tune has been bopping around my head for the last week. I yeah. know it has for Jess. She was singing it at work and somebody called her out on it. Uh, yeah, and I'm just like in my head. I'm trying to make calls at my job, and I'm like, suddenly Seymour. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, why is this coming into my head right now? Come on. And uh, it was. They're just. They're catchy. They're good, and they are memorable because the element of uh, what's going on in the scenes mm-hmm. is like like that adds so much to just the musical element. Yeah. And they've gotten a bit of an 80s vibe, probably 60 through 80s vibe to them. 
but it works really effectively in this format. Uh, it doesn't age. Well, I mean, the movie was meant to be aged anyway, right? Um, yeah. Like, it's it's aged back to the 60s, yeah. so it's already a nostalgia and, trip. Yeah, and that's where I was going to say earlier is that it holds up because it is a aged movie already. Mm-hmm. Like, it's aged on purpose. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Should we get into our personal reviews and the partner factor? Yeah. So, I think this is the first film on our list that Jess actually enjoyed more than I did. Like I said, she was humming and singing along through most of it right from the get-go. For me personally, I did enjoy it. I had a lot of fun. Uh, It's a fun movie. And man, does it rip your heart out at the end. But it's not one of my top films by any means it's a it's a good musical again i i can't recommend going and see going and seeing the play enough it actually in my opinion translates better in play format and the musical numbers are really great yeah i feel like if you were to see it in a play it's so much easier to get invested because you're really there right in front of the people so that adds like a certain element that some people who watch the movie might not allow themselves to get invested in yeah, because if you think about the idea too hard, it's kind of a dumb idea, yeah. but it works really well in the format that is presented. Yeah. Well, like, Killer Plants from Outer Space is, like, a... <laughs> it's kind of, like, a good concept, but yeah. the musical aspect of it kind of throws you through a loop, and then you're like, oh, I don't know if I would like that. But they execute. Yeah, well, and the other thing with the film as well is the focus really for the majority of the film is on the relationship between Seymour and Audrey and Seymour's sacrifices to become the person that he feels he needs to be for Mm, Audrey. And the focus, not until the end, is on the otherworldly invasion of plants, right? And maybe that's also that kind of, that twist and that that pivot in in where the film has been going so far that probably rubbed people the wrong way the first time that they watched this. Yeah, and yeah, like the whole concept of, um, like, the original director or creator, he was like, uh, let's imagine, like, plants, man-eating plants, and then put that into this scene but they had like a flower shop already as part of the set. So like they've really separated the concept of like a horror movie of like aliens from space coming down to just the relationships and how they are dealing with their situation. It's like a cool subset of what it like, what it could be. Right. Um, so yeah, I overall very much enjoyed this and Annabelle didn't really get a chance to watch. She's doing uh, midterms this week. Or yeah, fair enough. Um, so I, it would have been cool to get her like aspect, but she was humming and singing some of the songs nice. later <laughs> because she was like, I was watching it while she was working on stuff. Yeah. And so some of it's still stuck in her head. So like that aspect is still there. Yeah. So even though I said it's not one of my top films, it's definitely one that I'm going to watch again. Uh, yeah yeah whereas it's an easy one to throw on yeah and enjoy yeah i probably will watch within the next year i almost can imagine um and if it ever comes to a streaming platform in a heartbeat oh yeah probably yeah. watching it the weekend it comes up favorite scenes so for me 
Anytime Steve Martin's on screen, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, Steve, Steve Martin and Bill Murray's interaction was yeah. just phenomenal. Like you said, it's the the complete opposites of the, the masochist and the sadistic... Like, he's a psycho. He's yeah, a yeah. psychopath. Yeah, and, like, I have it up here. Sorry, one second. So, yeah, the, the whole scene itself from, like, their interaction between Bill and Steve... And then Seymour going to kill Oren, the dentist, is that the whole thing from start to finish is really fantastic. And then when Seymour's dragging the body back to the store, like, I was kind of chuckling there, like, like, oh my god, this is so ridiculous. But like, I don't know, it was it was really well done. Like, you could tell that he was kind of on autopilot at that point, yeah. and he wasn't really thinking about what he was doing or trying as much as possible not to think about what he was doing. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, just to go back, uh, like the the like how s- sadistic the dentist is. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes into a whole song about how his mother um, told him you should be a dentist, and uh, so this is a quote. She said, "My boy, I think someday you'll find a way to make your natural tendencies pay. You'll be a dentist. You have a talent for causing things pain." Son, be a dentist. People will pay you to be inhumane. Your temperament's <laughs> wrong for priesthood and teaching would suit you still less. Son, be a dentist. You'll be a success. And yeah. like previously, he said, um, when I was younger, just a little kid, my mom would notice funny things I did, like shooting puppies with a BB gun. I'd poison guppies. And when I was done, I'd find a pussycat and bash in its head. So like he's purely psychopathic. Yeah. But just like the comedic aspect of his mom seeing that yeah and saying oh you need to channel that yeah, into dentistry into something that you'll do well in yeah yeah and like he completely embodies like the, a full-on psychopath yeah but he channels it all into, into dentistry his, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's probably the greatest portrayal of a dentist ever in film i'm sure the dentists of america like hate it yeah, for that yeah. reason but uh and like Earlier you said, like, is this the first time there's been, like, an evil dentist? Yeah. Like, that is a trope in itself that's been around for a long time. Yeah. It's just in different variations. This just, like, nailed it on the head. Yeah. (laughs) They drove it home. Like, this is what dentists are like or something like that. Yeah. Or everybody... It's like the monster under your bed. Everybody fears the dentist. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we lean way into that? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And the fact that he's huffing gas the whole time... Yeah, and he's got the maniacal laugh. Yeah, yeah. Like, he he would do a very good uh, Joker. Yeah, I have thoughts of Joker, too. If there's ever an old man Joker... Geriatric Batman versus Joker. Geriatric Joker and uh, I don't know. I can't (laughs) who Batman would be. Yeah, probably just Bill Murray again. Yeah, yeah. that that would be great. That would be such a a small clip. Yeah. (laughs) Who do you who do you make Robin to be like a younger um, comedian from around now? You know what would be funny? Bill Burr. <laughs> just to throw <laughs> something in there. <laughs> Bill Burr would just be... So, he would, it, you know we, we're starting to go down? Like the uh, Spongebob Squarepants uh, Mermaid Man yeah, and Barnacle yeah, Boy yeah, yeah. is basically the discussion we're having yeah. right now. Maybe we should cut this off. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a weird tangent that's yeah, for sure yeah. uh so other favorite scenes yeah um audrey has some great lines and about her like within her character uh-huh. where um mushnik the the boss of the flower shop the owner of the flower shop audrey's late for something and he's like don't tell me you got hung up and um she's like no just handcuffed a little <laughs> yeah. and, like like she has those like that recurring like the handcuffs thing comes back to yeah um which is probably an allegory to how she's kind of handcuffed to the relationship yeah yeah a metaphor not metaphor yeah whatever (laughs) my english is not as good as my math yeah (laughs) and my movie knowledge (laughs) yeah and then like another like just classic scene of um or quote of Seymour's like, you'd be seen with me in public? Yeah. Like, in a public place, like a department store? And, like, it just shows how, like, self-conscious he is. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, like, all those, they have these little lines that just, they they either keep repeating something, like the strange and interesting plant thing, or they keep pushing out a line, like a, a train of thought longer and longer and it just gets funnier and funnier yeah and each character is a, a character a character or as far into the trope as you can get yeah, like with yeah. the geekiness the the dentist like the masochist the, yeah the masochist yeah, like everybody yeah. is uh, yeah yeah like she like audrey is like um bimbified a little yeah. bit like she's always like her breasts are always on display in a certain <laughs> manner. I don't know how to say that in an appropriate way. It's <laughs> good that enough, was my I attempt. guess. Yeah. Mushnik is very businessman. Like yeah. when he realizes yeah. that Seymour's been killing people and feeding it to the plant, he's like, "What you're doing is terrible, and you should be hung by the police." Yeah. But or, I'll let you yeah. go if you show me how to take care of the plant. So that he can start keep making some money. And he's yeah. like, I'll let you go and you just stay away for like 30, 40 years. And um, you just tell me how to take care of the plant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that, that goes back into the theme of um, the like American dream and the capitalism and like the, like the underside of America basically mm-hmm. where – Everyone's just trying to get ahead, and they'll take those chances. He's basically aiding and abetting a murderer, but he's like, but I can make some money out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The strange and interesting plant scene, also a great scene, very campy. It scratched a part of my brain that needed to be itched. That The actor who first uh, appears there, his name is Christopher Guest. He's the first customer. Um, he was actually one of the main actors in the film This Is Spinal Tap. And so that's why his po- appearance oh, was relevant. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, I actually hadn't really heard of him before. So I had to do a bit of a deep dive because at the end, he got one of those still frame credits, right? So I, I knew he had to be somebody relevant in yeah, the yeah, 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looked like, um, like it reminded me of uh, so many things, like Death of a Salesman. Like he was very classically, like he was like a caricature of, yeah, that businessman. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll leave that there. <laughs> 
We haven't even talked about this yet, but John Candy's cameo yeah, as yeah. well. It, the problem with John Candy's cameo is it comes before Bill Murray's cameo, which yeah. overshadows yeah. it and Steve and Martin's role. Yeah, and you yeah. kind of forget about him, but he has a great cameo as the wacky um, radio host. Yeah, and he did a good job of being like overly wacky yeah. there, which like is kind of his version of comedy sometimes. Yep. And like he goes over the top. But uh, he did it well. Uh, I loved yeah. that cameo. Yeah. And again, it kind of gets overshadowed, unfortunately. But it's not to say that it's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's because it didn't have too much like real plot yeah. to it. Yeah, it that's probably just, the other It point. was just a cameo for like... It had a little bit of plot to it where he was the first interaction with um, it, Seymour it, being a local attraction. Yeah. Seymour and starting and Audrey, to push yeah. the uh, the relevance of the plant in New York yeah. and making the money and and Seymour having to push further, push himself further and yeah. further into Breaking Bad. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's most of my favorite scenes. I'm sure you have a, a couple other ones. I I did want to note actually before I forgot. This is something that I forgot about later. Earlier, I was going to talk about um, the making of the film. Martin Scorsese almost directed this no originally. Way. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> which would have been very different. Yeah, I think. yeah. Uh, we still would have gotten the exposition in the songs. Yeah, but I feel like we would have gotten some voiceovers. Maybe <laughs> he's kind of known for having voiceovers yeah. in his films, which would have been weird. Unless the like they kept the original like writing style. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It would be quite different. Yeah, he was originally interested in it, but uh, there's actually a lawsuit over the film, and after that, he had to depart from the filming. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think it would have been a, a bit of a different tone if he had That's directed it. It would have been more like the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I just found another note in um, from when I was watching, and... <laughs> I wrote, I guess that's why it's a black comedy about, like, five minutes into the end scene. Yeah. The end sequence. Also, I didn't see any female plants. Although, after looking it up, technically it is basically non-gendered. I mean, all plants are male and female. Some... Oh, some are. Yeah, yeah, okay. It depends on their gene expression and things like that. Yep. (laughs) Oh, uh... At the end, I just saw, like, the soldiers who were shooting at the plants that were, like, climbing on the buildings and the bridges. Yeah. There was one soldier who turned around and saw one of them and, and like, mouthed, what the fuck? Really? Yeah, I didn't yeah. see that. It was, like, very clear. <laughs> so I don't know if that was one of the first times we've seen something like that in film or not, but yeah, he, it was very clearly what the fuck. Huh, I'm going to have to pay attention to that on the next watch through. That's yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. I wrote down in my notes as as we were going that Audrey 2's effects looked great. They oh, they hold yeah, up yeah, so yeah. well. I um, was so surprised because uh, the way it moved was just so perfect. It looked like CGI. Not yeah. to a crazy degree, not to a super realistic degree, but the way the plant's mouth was moving with its voice uh-huh. was perfect. Yeah, and to think about all of the special effects that went into that, having to sl- do it in slow mo and yeah, speed it yeah. up, while also having Rick Moranis there and doing his lines in slow motion mm-hmm. is wild. And it's like, 
I want to say 30 to 40% slower. So I almost tried to do it right there on the podcast. And I don't even want to attempt to try to talk slow like that. Yeah. I don't know it, it would be really hard. That. And singing while singing yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> Is there any any quotes that you've got to end us off with? I had a little bit of difficulty with listening to the lyrics, I guess, of the singing. Oh yeah. Other yeah, like it wasn't super clear for me if I I didn't have um, subtitles. I had some issues with the clarity in the first couple of songs as well. Um, and I didn't write it down, but it was something that I noticed in the very beginning. And that's where I think if we had watch this on a streaming platform that had good subtitles that would have been very helpful yeah maybe that's why they haven't i don't know like well no if it was on a streaming platform it would have subtitles but that would have helped dramatically or drastically sorry yeah uh so other than that it's just all the quotes that were just like one-off little lines here and there or the repetition of um joke like the the repetition was the joke or the extending the joke longer than it has to be. Yeah. It was all of those types of scenes. That's about it. Okay. Well, I think this is a pretty good spot to wrap up. You and I are very excited for the next few episodes. It's Oscar season. Oh yeah. So, so I've never really participated. Like I've never been interested in Oscars Mm -hmm. because I always like imagined it as this like hotty totty, like, yeah, like, it's a little cares? stuffy. Yeah, it's a little like, stuffy. And, like, there's all these, um, like, everyone's interested, but nobody's actually watched them or something yeah. like that. Like, why why do regular people get so excited about the Oscars? But then now we've been doing this. Yeah. I'm really getting into the idea of looking at the Oscars that we're going to be looking at. Yeah. Just as, like, a historical comparison and just... And how they hold up to, yeah, like, now... Yeah. Yeah, and often there's movies that didn't make the Oscars Mm -hmm. that hold up so well over time. Yeah. And then we're going to see some Oscars that maybe some of them really did. Yeah. And so it's an interesting area. Yeah, so I think what I want to start with, and I want to hear your input on this, is we've already picked our two Oscars films. So what we're going to do is a film that won the best picture for a specific year, and then the same year, another film that was nominated for either best picture or something else, or maybe didn't get nominated, and we could make an, an interesting, have an interesting discussion about whether it should have been nominated, whether it should have won over the film that won. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way I actually want to watch this is I want to watch the film that won the Oscar in the year that we've chosen first yeah, that's and plan. not reveal what the other film we're going to watch is. And then once we've watched the first film and know what kind of the bar is for that year for the Oscars, we watch the other one and see whether or not we agree or disagree with that yeah. view. I'm yeah, I'm excited for that. Especially like there's other th- aspects to what wins an Oscar. So mm-hmm. we'll be able to go into that a little bit. What gets nominated, what doesn't and has that changed over the years? Yeah. So, yeah, great. I see a great discussion happening from watching those two and during Oscar season. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. So the first film that we're going to watch is 1959 Oscar Award winner for Best Picture and actually, I believe, won the most Oscars for that year and broke a record up up until that point in time is the movie Ben-Hur. 
starring somebody we've already looked at before, whose name has escaped me. Charlton Heston. Starring Charlton Heston. Yeah, who we loved in... Uh... Who we liked in Soylent Green, who I really enjoyed oh, yeah, in, so- Green. Um, yeah. in Planet of the Apes. Yes, yes. Planet of the Apes was like one of my... That was my first time seeing him. I didn't know who he was at the mm-hmm. time, but... That's one of my favorite old movies. I can't wait until we do that, but we probably have to wait another year or so. Can't get all of our Charlton Heston films out of the way right at once. (laughs) Go spread the love there. Ben-Hur is a movie that, like, when you're interested in film, you're going to see this come up multiple times. It's historically significant for so many reasons, and we're going to talk about it. We don't need to go into it into detail now. Just be excited because we are excited. This might be like a long episode, I don't know, because it's so significant. It's like a three or four hour movie too, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a longer one, I think, as well, especially when we do the second film, which I'm getting more excited for the second film the closer we get to watching these two because the other one's been on in my peripherals for a long time yeah um and i've never really considered watching it but i'm really excited to get into both these the other ones that we're not picking in 1959 it was so tough to pick it was really tough but i think we've come with the the right choices yeah so so yeah we were looking at a few actors and actresses Mm -hmm. that we have all heard of their huge in pop culture, mm-hmm. but a lot of people have not seen anything from them. Yeah. For the second movie. There was it was so difficult to pick which ones we wanted to see because they were either very good um plots or movie concepts mm-hmm. or this actor or actress. Iconic actors, iconic. actresses. Yeah. They're still being referenced today, and yeah. we have the majority of us have no idea what they were in. Yeah, so. yeah, because this this is literally a different time. Yeah, that these actors were in. So, yeah, really excited for the next few episodes. Uh, yeah. I hope you're prepared and ready to watch these films with us. If you're interested, watch Ben Hur ahead of time so you can join in the discussion. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. With that said, thanks for listening. Have a good one, everyone. Feed me. <laughs> Every time I say, like, the have a good one, everyone, I can, like, picture in my mind the outro music, oh, even yeah. though we don't have any. Yeah. I just, like, come up with my head where it's like, nah, 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 nah. like, play me out, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.